I'm so glad to be part of Bridge Group because women are just more democratic. When even when they lead, they listen. I silenced myself. What are you saying about me? If I'm not honest and good to myself, I will speak because that is the only way. Is enough. Is enough. This is Women Emerging. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the seventh podcast. A whole series of podcasts all built around the Women Emerging Expedition, an expedition that starts in May. And these podcasts are us limbering up in preparation for the expedition that, as I say, starts in May. And right through the expedition, the podcast will continue and after because we all want to know more about leadership and we all passionately want to follow the expedition, these extraordinary 20 women who are going on an expedition throughout 2022 to find the approach to leadership that resonates with women. So the more women say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Um, I've told you now in the first seven podcasts all about the expedition, the what, the why, the how, the passion behind it, the determination that we have to disrupt. Last week, I told you a little bit more about what came before the expedition, what Women Emerging was doing for the previous 18 months that led up to the expedition and about the weekly films and gave you the very best, I hope, from the weekly films so that you have a sense of where we've come from. Thank you all for your continuing lovely words, um, your encouragement, your sharing, your, your, your recommending and starring and telling us your reviews of the podcast. I'm going to choose one from Andalib because uh, it kind words, but also really, I think, an important thought. She, as she says, the only thing I wanted to add, Julia, is about leadership, is that vice versa. Some people are born to be leaders and they have to learn to work for others and follow others, which for some is very, very hard. Powerful thought and leap. Thank you for sending it to me. Please, please, everybody else, carry on sending the messages. They matter a lot. Over the next few weeks, I think we're going to go to a little bit deeper around the issue of leadership. Each week, as you know, we're speaking to more of the the 20 expedition members. And so far, you've met nine of them. And this week, you'll meet another three as we turn to leadership. But as we do turn to leadership, I thought we should sort of set it off by talking to Selvi. And she can tell us a little bit about what the impact as a young woman in financial services from Indonesia who's experienced both good and bad leadership, ask her to tell us what the impact of good and bad leadership has been on her. So what's the bad leadership that you've experienced? And to some extent, what impact has it had on you? And tell me about the good leadership and what impact that has had on you. Yeah. So I guess like good leadership and bad leadership, you pointed out, like we experience it in like, home, school, in the workplace. And I think coincidentally, I did have experience. I experienced both bad and good leadership. I would say like identify bad leadership with something that is more result focused, something that is, you know, very much KPI driven or very much like 
it's very individualistic, whereby I care about myself and you are under me. Therefore, you need to do the things that I ask you to do. Whereby like a certain expectation have already set in place. And if you don't deliver, then you fail. And I think it is an environment whereby you are being you are being told like it it is very much like a punishing environment. If you fail to deliver something, then I'll need to remind you that you know you didn't manage to do what you should do for our team. So I felt like it is that is the bad leadership that I have experienced. And to me, the feeling it was pretty much that you feel like every day you are walking on an eggshell. You know, like you feel you feel fearful. Like I feel fearful of committing mistakes, even though like actually I think. A committing mistake or doing something wrong is how you learn, but it is an environment whereby not supportive of that. Whereas in a good leadership, the way I think about good leadership pretty much is a very nurturing environment and an environment whereby, you know, when I even think about it, I feel happy. Like I will smile when I think about it. It's an environment whereby I feel valued, um, appreciated, and I felt like the my leader cares about me as a person. And I think what surprised me the most when I first experienced a good leadership was that I felt, oh, you know, you care about my opinion, even though I might not know much. And it also involves like love, like love in the way like genuine care, patience, forgiveness. When I commit a mistake, people will forgive me for committing that. And even like, oh, you know, let's take a look at why you you didn't do well in this or that, that kind of feeling that I get. I feel like we are in the same team, we are in the same boat. And to me, because of that, I felt there is a alignment of interest. It's very nurturing. And it is pretty much like when I asked Julia, you know, I need to finish this work. The reason is because um, I really want my team to do well. Versus saying like, Julia, you know, I need to finish this work. Because if I don't complete it, my boss will give me a very bad review. I think that's very much a two different perspective. And that is a really some leadership is something that motivates me internally. A good leadership makes me want to stay where I am. It encourages, it motivates people. And even if let's say you ask right now in my current position, I do have a very good leader. And I felt like one of the one of the biggest thing or one of the hardest thing for me to leave this job is the people, the leader. Because I felt like it, it feels like an environment, a very good environment where I can continue to grow. And I do have, I know that I have a good support system. Thank you, Selvi. I think we've all, I suspect we've all experienced or observed good and bad leadership. And um, in truth, it's been delivered by both men and by women. Leadership is without doubt easier said than done. My own view is that it's the leadership is both very, very hard and very, very simple. I took this thought to two other members of the expedition and with it Selvi's Selvi's thoughts. Two other members, Uma in India and Liz in the US. Uma first on it's very, very hard. She expresses this utterly beautifully. Before, but before she does, I asked her about a word that Aisha, if you remember Aisha in podcast five, Aisha gave me a word called justuju for an expedition. 
it was an intriguing, intriguing Urdu word, and I thought I would test it on Uma. Uma, the other day, Aisha, who's on the expedition, who's from Karachi, she sent me an email and she was trying to explain to me the word just a Jew. Just a Jew or just a Jew? Just a Jew. Why does that word make you smile as well? It's a very warm word. It's a word that talks about the innermost core instinctual spiritual desire for something or somebody. I think the innateness of love, warmth and pure desire, it just makes me feel, it just brings a smile to my eyes and my lips, I think that's why. Because does it, does it, does it actually mean a quest? It is an expedition. It's an expedition. It's a quest. But the, but the, you know, the source of this expedition, the source of this quest is not only to find something. It's not only the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's the seeking, which is beautifully pleasurable in this kind of an expedition. So it's, it's a beautiful word for the expedition. It's a beautiful note. Right. I've got it. Why, why do you think leadership is so hard? I mean, last time we spoke, Uma, both of us were in floods of tears. And we were miserable about the world, but we were also miserable about being leaders in the world, I think. Why is leadership so hard? I think there are a couple of things, you know. Um, as we grow into leadership, I think there is a, there's a awareness. There's a lot of self-awareness. And awareness is a double-edged sword. You know, it brings a lot of pleasure and confidence. Awareness brings a lot of pleasure and confidence because it's an authentic way to live while getting in touch with reality. However, awareness also, I think, brings its share of pain, the meaninglessness of existence, the sheer despair and hopelessness or limitation of human capability. So I think one of the reasons leadership is hard is because of this. more self-aware you become, you, you need to co-hold the, the pleasure of authenticity and the pain of, the, of, of certain kinds of things that are beyond our control. So that is one of the reasons I think it is hard. The other thing I think, Julia, uh, for me, I think, um, and this is what I find in many leaders, I mean, young leaders and working with so many emerging leaders, I think in situations of crisis, in situations of difficulty, when we are very emotionally triggered, usually there is a human, res- the human response is binary. Either there is fight or flight. That is, it's black or white, or it's right or wrong. And, and in, you know, when as leaders, uh, when we are emotionally triggered and we, you know, this is the first response that we go to, you know, to this binary response, and then you know as leaders that this is not it. Leadership is so much more. And you need to pause. You need to explore the pattern of choices that we are making. We need to do that. And sometimes you don't get that time you don't get the you don't get the luxury or the permission to pause, and we need to jump into action. And as uh, I think, conscious, self-conscious, and aware leaders, as you know, as empathetic leaders, we realize at some points that 
the binary response was not called for. It required a more complex, diverse, a more rounded approach. And it's painful. It's difficult to, you know, that, that self-realization that I should have taken a pause. I need not have jumped into it right away. But I think for me that has happened, you know, in situations of crisis. And, and you end up that evening forgiving everybody except yourself. Harshest to ourselves. And because we're the leader, we're, we're, the, we're responsible. Part of the hardness of leadership, perhaps, is that it's a bit like motherhood, isn't it? You never get it right. You just have mm-hmm. to keep going. And leadership, you're never going to get it right. you just got to keep going and hoping that you're getting incrementally better at it. Also, also you know, uh, Julia, it's difficult as a leader to be able to express how can the others How can someone else make me feel more accepted? How can someone else make me feel more loved or make me feel more valued? These are human needs. But as leaders, we're often hesitant or unable or don't find space to express. How can someone make me feel? And we we expect people to make us feel like that or to understand us. Don't ask. There's a difference between asking and expecting. And I think as leaders, since we're unable to ask or unable to share, how can you make me feel more trusted or more loved or more accepted or more human? I think it becomes, becomes a, a, a lone journey. It becomes a very, very solitary, uh, lonely space. Have we almost accepted that it's lonely and it, it doesn't actually have to be lonely? It doesn't have to be and it cannot be. And I think this is what this expedition will look for, search for those minds of human connectedness, relatedness, and how do we make this journey a more pleasurable one, a more liberating one? We don't need the same. We don't want more. We don't want the same things. We don't want more. We just want different. As women leaders, I often say this, that we don't want more. We want different. And this difference is one of the core differences that we want is that leadership is about connectedness, about being at it together, do the being and the becoming together. Okay, I'm going to go away and think, Uma. I'm very, very glad you're on this expedition with us. Thank you. Thank you, Uma. Leadership is about connectedness. It's about coming together. And we have to find ways so that it's less lonely and much, much more pleasurable. With with these words ringing in my head, I went to talk to Liz to ask her if it's ridiculous to suggest that the just as it's hard, it's also simple. Liz's background is engineering, and then the army, and then the corporate world, and now the NGO world. You know, my father used to say to me that leadership is, of course, about who you are. But it's also about what you do. And maybe that's where we should start the conversation with Liz. Liz, no one would deny that leadership is hard. And listening to Uma, you can't fail but to recognise how hard it is. But perversely, at another level, sometimes it can be quite simple. Does that make sense? Completely, Julia. And you know, 
What I see in observing women in leadership roles all around the world is that the ones that get it right are the ones that are paying attention. It's not that it's not difficult for it's difficult for them. It's it is difficult, but also they have seen the simplicity in just looking at what's around them, observing, listening, really actively listening, and then acting. And so, yes, they come up against challenges, but somehow they're able to set aside their egos and really focus on what they're being told, observing, reflecting, and then doing something about it. And I think that's great leadership in its rawest sense, is that ability to pay attention and then act. And that I've seen women do in so many different contexts, in some of the most challenging of circumstances, be it war, natural disaster, or actually in just day-to-day living, these women are able to bring that level of simplicity and clarity that enables them to inspire the confidence of those around them, that calmness. And so is it easy? No, it's not easy. But is are there ways in which women chart a path that has a positive impact on those around them? Yes, for sure. And I see that every single day. What are the things that the women who pay attention, what are the sort of, I know this sounds silly, what are the sort of habits, what are the things that they do regularly that sort of make them leaders? I remember with somebody said to me, it's just a team meeting. I said, what do you mean it's just a team meeting? A meeting of your team is actually, it's your leadership opportunity, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, don't think of it as just a meeting. So what do really good leaders do that are the sort of basic, simple things? They listen. And that seems an obvious one, but it's surprising how often that doesn't happen in leadership settings. And quite often that can be because ego permeates the situation. But a, a really great leader, be they male or female, listens and they make the space to listen, and they don't just listen to hear what they want to hear and pick up on the bits that they were waiting for with that kind of confirmation bias, but they listen in a really genuine way. And they also look for the other nonverbal cues. They look for how people's body language is. They look how people are behaving with each other. They look at the dynamic in the room or on the Zoom call or in the community meeting or or in the team meeting, and they reflect on that. And they ask questions. They ask questions. They get people's perspectives, again, in a very genuine way, not in a way that they're just going through some kind of tick box, get input exercise, but they ask questions. They are curious. And I think it's that curiosity that's, only possible when you can set aside ego and admit that you don't have all the answers. And so I think that's the second thing alongside listening is having the humility to admit that you don't have all the answers. And I think in some leadership models or some kind of, in some leadership cultures, that that is a real barrier to great leadership. People, the leader is expected to be on a pedestal and have the answers and that enables them to project themselves as a strong leader. And yet the people that I see being really effective leaders are the ones that say, hey, you know, I just don't know. And that inspires the confidence of others to share, to bring their answers to the table, to know they won't be laughed at or ridiculed for coming up with some unexpected suggestion. And and, and I think that 
you know, that listening combined with that curiosity and the humility to admit you don't have the answers. And then the final step, because I think it's the final step that enables change to happen is to act, is to say, okay, I've listened, I hear, I I see, and now this is what we're going to do. Do you want to come with me? And creating a space where people can't do anything but say yes, because it looks like fun where they're going and it looks exciting and interesting. And I think those are the steps that, that I see. I've seen just in so many contexts and in really, really challenging situations. You know, it's easy to say, well, it's all very well having that kind of listening model when you're in a nice, comfy conference room. But what about when you're in a a more hostile situation or where there are particular challenges or the situation is just not conducive? And I would say even more, you double down on that listening and paying attention because that's when it really matters. And, And I think I, you know, the really great leaders do that they do that in abundance and when they're under pressure they do it even more and actually it's interesting because even if you say to people listen and they say well I can't spend the next three three hours listening the answer is just listen for a minute would help yeah right it's just the act of listening there is always time to listen there is always time to listen and the false economy of not listening is what people often overlook in their you know, in, in such a, a, a an urgency to act, which of course there's a time for acting, but you have to act at the right moment. And in their urgency to act, in their need to be seen to be doing something, they skip over those other steps. And you're right, listening doesn't mean, you know, a 30 minute monologue. It doesn't mean bringing people together for a one day retreat where you all get to share. Sometimes it's about one minute. It's about pausing, tell me what you think, can you give me your thoughts on this situation? You know, what's your perspective? And that is, you know, that can be, a, you know, transformative if it's even just a few seconds. But I think there's also ways where teams can really get themselves into an upward spiral when this is done well. If you get into good habits as a leader with your team of having this opportunity to share, teams get really good at expressing what they want to say. So initially, you might find that it's frustrating because people haven't had the opportunity to speak, so they maybe take quite a long time to say it. But as you get better as a team, it very quickly becomes a really effective and efficient process of sharing because you've built that trust and you've built that, you know, that space where people feel heard. And so then, you know, they're really willing to step up and give their perspective. And you've done leadership in quite a few different contexts, haven't you? I have, Julia, and I've definitely worked at Optimize for Interesting during my very varied career. Um, I started out, my, my leadership journey started in the military and I was in the British Army in joined in around 2000 and deployed to Iraq in 2003 as a young officer. And, you know, the experiences that I had during that very early phase of my career really shaped how I've wanted to show up as a leader ever since. I was in southern Iraq during the early part of 2003 and was leading an initiative around engaging the local community in re-establishing the rail infrastructure. And I worked really closely with the Iraqi rail experts. And it was a very interesting dynamic because initially my own chain of command were very apprehensive. They were like, yeah, Liz, you know, you know what you're doing, but you might just have to accept in this situation that culturally it's just not going to work. We might have to. Why? Because you're a woman. 
because I'm a woman. And we might have to have some male officers come in and kind of help with some of the communications. And I was like, well, let's see how it goes, shall we? And, you know, to cut a long story short, short, what we were, what we found in that situation is that I had opportunities to engage with the, the local community, the the, the male, predominant male, in a way that we were able to set aside some of the other challenges that come in a very male-dominated environment, some of the egos, some of the, the need to be the person in control, the person that is dominant in that situation. And, you know, I, I, I have so much respect for them, for their willingness also to be open to working with me. We, we found a dynamic that worked so well um, for a for quite a number of weeks, they referred to me as Madam Liz, and we had a very respectful relationship. But I was able to talk to them in a way that some of my male colleagues just weren't able to, because it inevitably went a certain direction where it was about being the dominant leader in the situation, and, and that just didn't happen. And so it was a real open eye-opener for me, because you know, rather than my gender being a barrier to us being able to work together, it was actually the enabler. And... I think that's, you know, that's something that has always stayed with me when I've tried to think about how I show up as a woman in other situations, whether that was, you know, during my military career, whether that was in the corporate sector, more recently when I've been working within the humanitarian sector, just being open to seeing, to looking at the situation with a different kind of lens and seeing where there may, may be opportunities rather than just barriers. You keep using the word ego. It's a really interesting concept, which I think we could all do to be more aware of in ourselves. It's not something that's specifically gender related, but I think it can show up in that context. And so I think it's something that's really you know, building levels of awareness relating to that, I think is really important because ego, without question, has a bearing on how we show up as a leader. Ego is something that will enable us to either be that person that makes the time to listen, that that is able to admit that they don't have all the answers. Ego can either enable that or it can prevent that. It gets in the way of being able to build off, you know, authentic but meaningful, balanced relationships where everybody is able to bring their full self to a situation rather than feeling that they somehow need to be a people pleaser, trying to say the right thing for the leader that they're working for at that particular time. And, and you know, that's, that's where being able to set aside ego, which is just so much easier. So it's easier said than done because we all bring ego to every part of our daily lives. But I think it's just a, 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 an important element of self-awareness and team awareness in, in how that is showing up. So leadership is about every day walking on eggshells. That um, that sounds familiar. I finish this podcast with thoughts from all three conversations, from Selvi, where she said that the leadership she wants is from leaders who create an environment where I can grow, continue to grow. That sounds right. Good leaders make sure that people continue to grow who work with them. And um, that was a very clear message and challenge from Selvi. From Uma, apart from the word justaju, which I have now learnt from two Urdu speakers, one in Pakistan, the other in India, that reflects 
what an expedition is that has an innermost spiritual desire in expedition. That's, that's interesting. But on leadership, I particularly, Uma, this concept that self-awareness is both a pleasure and a burden, a pleasure and a pain that we have to co-hold, I find that a very useful concept. And from, from Liz, the false economy of not listening, that is really, really interesting. And her, her, her experience that when, when things are really, really tough, good, good, good leaders double down on their listening, when intuitively you would think that they would sort of miss it out. But in fact, as she says or observes, when the pressure's on, good leaders double down on their listening and they listen fast. And if their team has got used to being listened to, their team begins to express themselves very fast themselves. And you get, as Liz talks about, this upward spiral, which I think is fascinating. But both Uma and Liz have talked a lot, it seems to me, about the sort of the luxury or the the permission to pause, to allow leaders to pause, and no doubt in the pausing to listen. That 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 was very, very interesting. And it all speaks to leadership being both hard and simple. I mentioned my my father earlier. I remember him sitting me down at one stage and saying that I needed to learn more about leadership and I my response was pretty brutal. I, I don't like leaders. I don't like how they behave. I don't like what they demand of me. I don't like their sense of entitlement. Um, I don't like bullies. Uh, it was a long list. And I remember him looking at me and saying, Julia, if you really want to change the world. And I said, no, not the world. Yes, maybe I want to change my street or my house or my my road or my my city or my country. Yes, he said, yes. So if you want to change the world, Julia, how are you going to do it in the 18 hours a day that you are awake on your own? If you really want to change the world, you are going to have to learn leadership and learn the ability to take people with you and to, to, to lead people. And um, he was right. It's both hard and it's simple. And it makes the expedition all the more important so that women say, if that's what leadership is, I'm in, which is pretty well what I said to my father. Last week was my birthday. I was 64. So I thought I would finish this podcast with a little bit of music. When I get older, losing my hair, many years from now, will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. If I've been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Thank you for listening to the podcast. Your voice and perspectives are crucial to the success of the expedition, and we would love you to become a partner to Women Emerging. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the Women Emerging group on LinkedIn.